Rethink Christmas. Think Christ. You know, decorations are important to Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah there are. I mean, I, sure, I mean, I love them. I mean, I really, I know some, I know some people are down on them. I love them. Uh, they create an atmosphere. They, uh, they set a tone. You, you can use them to promote a particular theme. Have you checked out our tree? Isn't that cool? It's pretty cool. I mean, those little round discs you might see on there, come up and take a look at them after. They're, they're uh, old hymns and songs that are familiar for those of you that love those Christmas songs. And uh, Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel, you can do so much just with a, a Christmas tree. Uh, I love the sights. I love the sounds. I love the music. I love the colors. Uh, and yes, I very much, like many of you, love the tastes of Christmas. Yeah. For me, it's shortbread. Yeah, yeah, sure. For some of you, it's fruitcake. And uh, <laughs> for me, not so much. As a matter of fact, not at all. And, uh, but, but I enjoy all that. I mean, Christmas is just special that time of the year. And, and I enjoy the gifts. I mean, I really do. I'm not, I'm not, we're not, I'm not preaching a sermon that's down on gifts. So you'll be, I, love, I love the giving. I love the receiving. I love the, the decorations. I love all the delicacies that December brings us as much as anyone. And it's probably very innocent in many ways, but perhaps I'm as guilty as some of you at times for maybe loving it a bit too much. You know what I mean? Or maybe I enjoy this holiday more for some of the distracting reasons than the real true reasons I should be focusing on. I, I, and I, I, I'm guilty as charged. It happens. Because if you pay attention to the messaging of our culture, Christmas has become a season focused on the acquisition of stuff. Yeah, it just, it just does. I mean, it is. I mean, you just can't get away from it. I'm not, I'm preaching to the choir, right? We all know this. <clears throat> but I'm not just talking about gifts. That's, that's not my, my main focus here. Because plenty of the gifts that are given are given with the spirit of giving and receiving and sharing and helping others, even those who are going through a really tough time. And I get that, and it's wonderful. But I'm talking about the created hype. Um, that there is, maybe you've heard this, that there is hope in mankind. Have you heard that? It's, 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 like it's everywhere. It's like there's hope in mankind. Um, we just need to give peace a chance. Um, that, that the spirit of Christmas is a salvation of some kind in itself. I hear this all the time. It's, it's even in the, some of the movies that you and I love. <laughs> it's there. That Christmas is some kind of a retreat from the drivenness of life. It's, it's, it's where we recapture, revisit, meditate on the real meaning of life. But then Christmas becomes no more than this kind of a distraction, right? Right? It's just a distraction from the craziness of life. A welcomed distraction, but it's just a distraction. It's a holiday where we get to relax, where we get to reflect. But then you go right back to the grind on the 27th. <laughs> or the 28th, whatever, whatever you get this year. And unlike Ebenezer Scrooge, usually nothing's changed. <laughs> Everybody in the office is just the same as they were. <laughs> Maybe put on a little bit of weight, but that's, that's about it. 
<clears throat> it's just about this brief escape. That's, that's, everybody's looking forward to Christmas. Why? Because I get time off. I get to enjoy and indulge. And isn't some of this created hype, and I'm not saying it's all bad. It's, it's a lot of good. But isn't some of this created hype a blatant contradiction of the gospel message that you and I live for every day? Ah. The glory of the advent of Jesus Christ visiting this planet in human form is that the Creator Himself takes on the form of creation, the form of a human, to show humans, you and I, our slavery to this very creation and to, rec- to rescue us humans, we humans, from the bondage to this creation. That's the advent. And we end up worshiping the creation. It's, we're nuts. We're, well, we are. <laughs> Philippians 2, 5 and 11. Paul says it so well. Have this mind among yourselves. At Christmas time, he didn't say that. I just put that in there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? I mean, that's the Christmas story. And it's the end of the story. Yet here we are, maybe you're like me, our hearts revealing that we are still prone to worship the created, even at Christmas time. We got to be careful. We got to be so careful not to turn the true message of Christmas on its head. We need to remember how much we need the daily rescue the Savior brings us. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, who've trusted in His death on the cross as the debt payment for our sin, it's finished, it's done. But how do you do that? How do you do that? How, how do we emphasize the spiritual over the material when we ourselves are material? Right? I'm wearing material. We, got, we, we could look for opportunities, I think. We could look for opportunities to embed the Advent story, to live it out everywhere particularly this season, if you have children or you're going to be around children, go out of your way. Be intentional about this. And there's two metaphors that we can use. The first is gifts. Um, it's a big, big word, gifts, this time of the year. While you're shopping, while you're requesting, <laughs> while you're giving and receiving gifts, remember and point out in a very kind and loving way that Christmas is about one gift. It's easy. It's, it's, it sounds pretty easy, right? And it just rolls off your tongue, but you can't do it callously. You can't preach. 
Hey, everybody, stop opening your gifts. Got to tell you something right now. So you, you, got, to be, you got to be wise as you, as you do this. It, somehow show that the other gifts, all the other gifts at Christmas time, as great as they are, they're but shadows. They're representations that always fall short. But on the first Christmas, something radical happened. The gift was the giver. It's amazing. God gave himself, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Act like this at Christmas time. As beloved children, which you are if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And walk in love. As Christ loved. It's a whole other message. And gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Gifts. And then there's decorations, which I've already mentioned. While you're decorating, while you're enjoying all the decorations, remember that we will always, always, always be tempted to decorate our lives with beautiful things. Uh, we do this in the hope to satisfy ourselves. We do it with the hope of creating a little oasis, maybe some kind of escape from reality. Um, but that Christmas is about the birth of the only one who can fulfill the very longing of our hearts. That's wonderful. I love that tree. Let's keep it up all year, but they won't let me. But, so, but it's not about the tree, is it? That, that's not going to fulfill my longing. That's as beautiful as it is, it's going to get old. But Jesus never gets old. And the Bible is full of glorious promises of, of satisfaction for the discontent in our lives, which we do have. We're supposed to. Do you realize? We are supposed to be discontent with this life because it's not it. It's wonderful, but it's not it. John 6, uh, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Everything. Psalm 107, verse 9, for he, this is God, for he satisfies the longing soul and only he can. And the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Gifts, decorations. Look, thirdly, look for opportunities to give and to serve, to give and to serve. We all realize that Christmas feeds our consumer-centric motivations, right? We, we know that. We get it. It's, it's what I can ask for, what I can get, the parties and events I can go to. Am I going to go to that church? Or am I going to go to that church? I don't know. Which one do you think has the best music? I will do that one. So it's all about me. It's all about what fills my desires. And we all know this, and yet we often succumb to it in some way. Could be small, could be big. But let's never forget that Jesus Christ gave up everything, as I read there in, in Philippians. Jesus Christ gave up everything to serve and to minister to people. Think about that. People who didn't even really want him. Who blew him off. People who had rebelled against him and still continue to rebel against him. People who had gone their own way. People like you and me. And after describing how most people 
are in it for themselves. Jesus goes on in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, to tell his followers this. What I've just told you about how it is in the world, but it shall not be among you because you're different because of me. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That's not popular today, is it? For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. What if each of us, not as a church, well, we are the church, right? So I guess, yeah, so as the church. But we did it individually, maybe in your own household. But what if each of us individually, because you don't need a program for this. This is how you're supposed to do life, not just at Christmas, but all year long. What if each of us, get to it, Pete, I am there. What if each of us individually initiated a new tradition out of giving this holiday season and carried it through the rest of the year? We can do so much more than just give people presents from their wish list. As fun as that can be. And believe me, if you've got grandkids, it is fun. What what if we also identified someone who is really in need? Like you, you, you pray about it, you think about it, converse with someone else about it, but, but you identify someone who is in need. Someone identify someone who's lonely. And and probably someone in your own circle of friendships, relationships, and family. We know that Jesus came because God so loved us, right? John 3.16. Isolated, desperate, lonely people. Find opportunities to give hurting people gifts. And I'm not Again, not just talking about physical items, because that's where our heads often go when, I, when we say the word gift, but, but the gift of your time, the gift of your presence, the gift of encouragement, the gift of an uplifting card, using hospitality, your home, um, or, or providing a meal or meals, and a and identify all of that giving for that person with Jesus Christ. Like, this is why. This is why. The birth of Christ is the ultimate solution to your and my loneliness and to our isolation that began in the Garden of Eden and continues through today. And so at Christmas, Christians should be at the head of the line incarnating that kind of love that comes from Jesus Christ, right? And if we do, won't this holiday and every day be rich with spiritual blessings that we get to enjoy? Because the person who gives is usually more blessed than the person who receives. Much richer than the created toys can provide, although I still love the toys. Okay, enough application. Usually we do the application at the end of a message because that's what you're taught in Bible school. But today we did it at the beginning, and you're like, Pete, I thought that was it. No, no, we're just starting. Um, Now, that was the application. So now let me lead us all through a view of Christmas 
from the perspective of the truth of God, His living Word. Okay. God announced the first words about Jesus Christ's coming, the coming of God's Word in flesh, that Word that spoke creation in the universe into being, that Word which made the mountain shake when Moses stood on it with the Ten Commandments, that Word that led the people through the wilderness with a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke that opened up the Red Sea, that, that, that Word became flesh. It's, it's amazing. And God first announced this coming to the serpent. Have you ever thought about that? The first person he talked to about it, that we're, that's recorded for us. As God pronounced the prophetic curse on the serpent in Genesis 3.15, he said, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. <laughs> I, I love that. And you will strike his heel. And then at long last, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, and the word, that same word, became flesh. That promise became flesh. That salvation became flesh. That, that, that truth took on human form. And he dwelt among us. The word there is tabernacle lived with us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What would Christ's coming bring? This is where we're going to end today. So, what I want you to do for me right now, <clears throat> this is going to be really hard for some of you, <clears throat> is I want you to give me one-word answers. I know for some of you it's like, one word? I don't know if I've ever spoken just one word. You know who you are. Do your best, okay? If you do two words, you, got, you, 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 you get out. You have to leave. All right. Just kidding. No, just one word answers to this question. What would Christ's coming bring? Joy. Peace. Salvation. Love. Hope. Decision. Christ? Is that, is that it? Come on. I got three. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Think. Justice. Well, perfect. Okay, now we're, now we're rolling. Promise. Happiness. Reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. And see, now, now you've got it. Now you're rolling. Now you're thinking. That's good, good. So I won't woke some of you up. Truth. What would Christ coming bring? All those things and so much more. And I just want to spend a little moment, a few moments, looking at a couple of those. And, and you mentioned them all except for one. And it's the one I thought you would forget. And of course, I had all week to think about this, so that's it's not fair. But first of all, hope. Christ's birth brings hope. If we, don't, if we need, is there, is there another word to describe what this world needs right now? Because it's hopeless, Right? Isaiah 9, verse 2 says, the people, I mean, this is hundreds of years before, okay, so Isaiah gets to see this, and he goes, the people walking in darkness, that is, that is us on this planet, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. <sighs> on those living in the land of deep darkness, 
a light has dawned. Isn't that amazing? I just find that captivating. Piercing the darkness. And then later in verse 6 and 7, he says, and why? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There are some gaps between what Isaiah prophesied and the coming of Jesus. And there has been a gap since the coming and death of Jesus Christ on the cross and his ascension back to the Father and to you and I today of this government of justice and righteousness reigning. Hope. Hope for them, and we still have that hope. Please come back today. Hope. Christ's birth brings anticipation. It's the second thing. I said Isaiah spoke these words 700 years before Jesus was born. God let him see it. In Isaiah 40, he predicts that John the Baptist would come and announce this anticipated moment of Jesus coming. A voice of one calling, Isaiah said, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level, the the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. Anticipation. Even way back in Genesis, uh, chapter 28, verse 14, God said this, all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. First, God promised Abraham that his offspring would be a blessing to all people, way back in Genesis 22. And then a few years later, quite a few years later, it's it's to his son Isaac He pronounces the same blessing in Genesis chapter 26. Well, right now we're in, I just read from Genesis chapter 28, and God says this to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who he's going to rename Israel. Jesus the Christ, the anticipated special offering from this one little country, Israel, is going to bring blessing to the entire planet. Hope, anticipation. Thirdly, Christ's birth brings joy. Matthew 2, 10 and 11. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Who are we talking about? The Magi, yes. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Did you note, when I read that, did you note the response from being overjoyed? It was what? Worship. 
and it requires action. It's not just coming and sitting in a church on Sunday. There's action involved. There's bowing. There's honoring. There's focusing. And they gave of their wealth. On that first Christmas, they were thinking Christ. Hope, anticipation, joy. Fourthly, Christ's birth brings love. John 3.16, and I'm going to read 17, 18, and 19. Usually we always just read John 3.16, but you've got to read the whole thing, I think. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Awesome. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because it's already condemned. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light, here it is again, light in the darkness. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. John, the same writer, writes many years later, with much more what we would call real-world experience of, of suffering and pain and seeing people come and go and make professions of faith and drift away and all that stuff. But the message hasn't changed and hasn't changed him. First John 4, his little letter, verse 7 to 11, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's John 3.16. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, what's our response? We also ought to love one another. After all that this life does not deliver, John says, because of Christ, we still love. Hope, anticipation, joy, love, and the one that you didn't get I'm not surprised. Christ brings an answer to fear. If you could sum up the last one year and nine months, again, with one word, and be careful, we're in church, which one would you use? I've often read and I've often heard fear. You could feel its presence. You could literally swim in it, drown in it. As the news of the coronavirus swept its way across our globe, uh, you heard fear's name mentioned as protocols and all these other attempts appeared and seemed from time to time to fall short of the original promises by world leaders. And as the medical community scrambled to do its best with what little it knew and the little resources it had, just excruciatingly painful for those in the medical community. But didn't your thoughts move to those in your own family? 
to those in your circle of friendships who were at risk? Didn't it? Were you compassionate, loving, and kind? I found myself way more sober-minded than I've been in a long time, especially for my children and for my grandkids. The impact of the isolation and the, and the lockdowns, the economic impact and the ongoing uncertainty. I believe it really messed up my mom who's in an assisted care facility. Was your work affected? Offerings and giving in churches were affected? The church gathered to worship God was affected? And other tragedies have just been piling up on us, haven't they? I mean, we've got fires, we've got storms, we've got floods, we've got civil disunity, we've got political division like this country has never seen. Well, I suppose you could go back to the Civil War. Acts of, of senseless violence, senseless destruction of life and property. You might say that fear is an appropriate word. <laughs> in all of these circumstances and others that you and I will encounter, maybe even later this week, are fear-filled. Let's be honest. That's because we live in a fallen, terribly broken world, a sin-stained world, a world not as it should be, but a world as mankind has made it. This is our fault, <laughs> speaking for humanity. And the fearful response to all of this is what the Puritans back in the day used to call natural fear, a natural fear, an emotion that every one of us in this room experience and will experience. If, if you hide behind a corner in the hallway after church today, don't do this. If you hide behind a corner in the hallway in church today, and as I walk up, you jump out unexpectedly and yell, I will jump. I'm just, yeah, I, I'm going to be momentarily afraid. And then I'll realize it's you, and I'll chase you down the hall. It's like, with a stick. No, I'm not. I would never do that. <laughs> Try it. We are, we are all afraid, aren't we? Come on, men. Let me hear some deep voices. We are all afraid of certain things at certain times. One honest man in the entire room. When you consider the emotions that our Savior experienced, as he anticipated the horrors and the pain and the suffering of the cross that was before him, that you, as you read them in his prayer in the garden. While fear in the face of pain and uncertainty is normal for us, the Bible calls us to do something more with these natural fears that are a part of life. And it's through two common commands that are laced throughout the entire Bible do not fear and fear the Lord. <laughs> at first, you look at it, they seem contradictory, right? 
but they're not. They're connected. The Bible teaches that in the face of our fears, we are to trade those fears for the fear of the Lord. And only His children can do this. You will encounter fearful situations. I'm glad I came out today. Thanks, Pete. I'm, I'm encouraged. But they're unavoidable. But what will our response as children of God be to them? For the person who has rejected salvation through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross for their sin debt, it's panic. It's, it's only natural. It's, it's terror. It's, it's a nausea-inducing, heart-racing kind of fear that all of us get when we hear bad news. It drops us to our knees sometimes. But for a believer in Jesus Christ's sacrifice for your sin debt, it's this holy mixture of reverence and awe, of, of, of wonder and amazement, of love and gratitude, of trust and obedience. When you know the depth of your depravity, but you can also marvel at the grace of God showered upon you in Jesus Christ, it's the response of someone who gets it doesn't necessarily understand it and certainly doesn't know why they deserve it, because we don't, but you get it and you know who God is in His holiness, in His righteousness, in His, in His goodness and in His truth, and you just naturally rejoice at the privilege to come before Him at any time through any fear into His presence, the Holy One's presence at any time, and make your request known. It's a response of someone who knows God is greater than all of this and that He is the supreme sovereign who rules over it all and who ensures that nothing can snatch His loved ones out of His hand. Nothing. In Luke's gospel, we read the Christmas story almost every year. Do you remember the shepherds? Remember the shepherds are in the field watching the sheep at night? Blah, 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 blah. And then the angels appeared. And what happens? I'll read it for you. Chapter 2, verse 9, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, drop to their knees kind of fear. We are dead. <laughs> this is not going to go well. <clears throat> and the angel said, fear not. For behold, I'm going to bring you good news of great joy that would be for all people. And in Matthew's gospel, which is the other uh, Christmas story that we read also every year, Jesus sent out the disciples to preach the good news of God's kingdom. That's what we're supposed to be doing as his disciples. And he warned them that there are going to be some people who are going to seek to kill you, and they're going to want to persecute you, and it's going to come. And then Jesus told them not to fear, but to instead fear the Lord. There it is, side by side. It's in, in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill your soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And then he goes on to tell them why. And he uses nature. I love this. It's in verse 29 of Matthew 10. <clears throat> Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not a whole lot. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
fearful circumstances in this life are here to stay, even at Christmas time. All the celebrating that you and I can come up with and conjure will not make them go away. Rethink Christmas. Think Christ. If you are in Christ, then you can expect God's guaranteed sovereign care through anything. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He is your refuge in the face of all fear. He is your hope, your anticipation, your joy, your love, and answer to all fear. I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. And we're going to go to the only one worthy to go to. And we're going to do it in song and in worship. And we're going to lay our hearts before Him. And we're going to sing these words to Him and to Him alone. Some of you, maybe you need to come clean today. Others, you've come clean and you're rejoicing in your new cleanness. But God is listening. He's listening to our voices in our hearts now. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we bow before you in the name of your Son and our precious Savior, Jesus. And especially during this kind of a season, Lord, uh, teach us how to live so that our lives emulate our precious Savior, your Son, that our lives speak his truth, that our lives share the gospel message with those who desperately need to hear it. We look to you for boldness, for strength, for encouragement, for peace, for the right timing even. And we know you do all these things in Jesus. So we pray it in his most precious name. Amen.